This has been a difficult year. And I think that maybe that might invite us into the story of Holy Week a little bit differently this year. Of we, we know how, how challenging uh, Jesus' last week was, but maybe we got a glimpse of when life's not comfortable and, and all cushiony and just always perfect, of how it is to identify in the midst of the grieving and the pain. And I was thinking about all of the things that were disrupted in this last year of uh, you probably can't find an area in which things weren't a little bit disrupted, of travel, of schools, of workplaces, of shopping, of just everything was just so different. But one thing that maybe we don't talk about as much is how painful it has been uh, that funerals have been different. And, and perhaps you were fortunate not to have lost someone in the last year, but for those of, of us who have lost someone, of how hard that has been, because we like to be able to, to grieve together to come have a packed funeral house of celebrating someone's life, of, of, of worshiping God and what God might do uh, while remembering uh, that person that was so loved and has continued to be loved. And, and so in this season, it's been so challenging for so many people because um, maybe you've not had a, a funeral service at all and you're thinking about let's, let's do some sort of celebration once everybody can gather and, it, and it's easy. Um, for some people, it's been small services of you know, to get to 10 people and you're think, you have to make those hard decisions of like, uh, who can make it to this funeral? And for many uh, funerals, you know, there's, we've added kind of live stream capabilities for, for people to be able to maybe peek in, but for those in the room, you might miss out on that presence that would normally be there for a funeral. And I don't think we've grappled with of like how much this last year is creating a new normal of expectations, but like, what is it to have funerals going forward? And, and we know we need presence. We know we need uh, physical touch and kind of interaction when we're alone, when we're feeling that grief and the pain. Um, but we have been in the midst of that uneasiness for this last year. And I think sometimes we, we kind of forget because we rush to Easter morning, we rush to celebration of like, wait, Jesus didn't really get like the normal funeral. He didn't really get the normal burial circumstances. You know, he's, it's like built into the system, like there's a reason that that didn't happen. Uh, that crucifixion was not just that Jesus died, but like this really painful, um, terrible practice. Um, and we maybe have lost some of the outrageousness of that, of, um, you know, if we think about the worst case examples in our own culture of someone has done something wrong, of, of um, you know, death penalty, uh, is, is kind of rejected in certain states in our country and others it still exists and kind of what way do you do an execution in those that it still exists. But like in Rome, crucifixion functioned to tell rebels not to try us. That the cross was this like public shaming activity that's meant to make the whole community afraid. That the whole community would be fearful and never try to resist the powers that be. And so they didn't want you to have a nice celebratory funeral kind of service because this is shaming and nobody wants to be around it. And so you see like the disciples, they're not nearby for the crucifixion. But there were some people who did want to honor Jesus' life. And in the story we get Joseph of Arimathea who says like, hey, can I just take his body? Can I go put it in a tomb? And like realizing like the fact that he has to ask about that means typically your body just hangs there. 
let people continue to realize the shame and to stay away from whatever it is that, that you were executed for. But he's like, hey, let me just go bury this, this man. And the women disciples, not necessarily the men in the story, the women disciples who were faithful, uh, they have some plans that we'll read from later of how to go try to celebrate his body and, and kind of offer some sense of dignity and burial. But like all of that uh, was in the face of people who said, you shouldn't celebrate this. You shouldn't celebrate this man. And Joseph of Arimathea and the women disciples, they want to celebrate Jesus' body. They want to honor him before they even have an Easter Sunday imagination. Right? Like that the women disciples want to honor Jesus' body when he's still the crucified rabbi, when he's still the crucified rebel. Like that they still care about him so much that they want to honor him before having the imagination broken into with Easter Sunday. And so I, I want to just say before we get into all of the celebration of this, like that what's amazing about our Easter story is not just that there's life, but life despite death, that there's healing despite illness, that there's hope despite despair. Like it's through resurrected wounds that we get to celebrate. It's not like that there is no pain and acting like none of that happens. So whatever pain you bring into Easter with you, God offers resurrection hope to the midst of that pain. So your pains, your troubles, your anxieties, your fears, uh, they can survive a Good Friday. They can survive to Easter morning. And so today we're going to talk about two reactions to uh, what is at work in the midst of this story. So uh, we're going to read first from Mark 15, verses 33 through 39, which if you were there for our, our Good Friday service, we stopped in verse 37, so we're going to get a couple more verses here. Mark 15, 33. When it was noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three o'clock, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when some of the bystanders heard it, they said, listen, he's calling for Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a stick and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah comes to take him down. Then Jesus gave out a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now when the centurion who stood facing him saw that, that it happened in this way, when Jesus breathed his last, the centurion said, truly this man was God's son. This short little passage of getting a centurion's reaction to Jesus' death is quite fascinating because uh, it's you know, the executioner uh, the person who's taken part in this violence against Jesus. And when Jesus dies, something is happening. Uh, you get this kind of uh, tearing of the temple, uh, and you get, you know, there's things about darkness and light in this story and earthquakes. But, like, something is happening, and sometimes it's okay not to know what to say. Like, the centurion's giving the OMG reaction. Like, he's like, I have no idea. Oh, my God. But he's looking at Jesus, and so there's this way in which it's the right outpouring of this, of this phrasing, of this expression of like, who on earth was this man? 
Like, this has to be God's son, but I don't know what to do with that. And we, the centurion, we don't spend any more time with them to see, like, well, what do I do with this information? But sometimes we just need to have the experience that we don't know what the words are for it, of just this awe-inducing moment, of just, surely this is God. Surely this is God's son. And if you don't know anything more than that, at least being able to recognize something has happened here that is abnormal, that is unexpected, that is uh, strange and mysterious, and celebrating God's at work. And I think so many Christians struggle sometimes on Easter Sunday of like, well, how do I actually make sense of what this is doing? Like, literally, what's happening in the story? Rationally, how do I make sense of it? Okay, uh, physical resurrection, then there's an ascension. Well, where's the body go? And we go into all of this, and it gets challenging to figure out. And sometimes it is just a nice reminder to sit in mystery, to sit in the mystery of God and just say, Surely this was God's son. And to just be able to sit in that. And, and we've been in this series in God's name where we've talked about blasphemy or respect of God, of the words we use, but also the actions that we live out in the world. And this story is a reminder that our words have limits, that we just ultimately can never say enough about who God is. We can never say enough about what's happening. And it's okay that there are experiences that you might not be able to articulate fully, that you can't say it perfectly. But maybe you can just say, surely this was God. And that that's okay. You don't always have to explain it. And so hopefully in your life you see moments, glimpses of hope, glimpses of healing, glimpses of, of opportunity of life that you just don't know how to explain, but you can just call it what it is and say, surely this is God. And what's fascinating is who gets to make that statement isn't always who we expect to realize God's presence. The Gospel of Mark, like, you might think the Son of God language is just really common in the Gospels, and it, it is more in other Gospels. The Gospel of Mark reserves the phrase the Son of God uh, for three kinds of instances. The very opening verse of the Gospel of Mark, this is the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So, like, the reader knows it from the start. And then the only person who ever knows to say Jesus is the Son of God in the story are demons. Like, what a strange uh, biblical text and like, that we don't even probably notice. The disciples never proclaim him Son of God in Mark there. Uh, the, the opponents never say it. Uh, nobody says it except demons who have this kind of extra level of, of awareness of what's happening spiritually, presumably in the text. And that's the case until we get to this moment when even an executioner, even the enemy, is able to be like, what just happened? Truly, this man was the Son of God. You might not think that you are capable of seeing God in your life. You might be like, I, I'm, I'm the skeptic, I'm the person who, who, who writes all of that off. But there are moments, little glimpses in life, if you'll say yes to, say, I know I can't explain this. Surely this is God. And what a beautiful example for us. And that story takes us to another reaction. We got the centurion's reaction of awe and celebration of who Jesus actually is. 
Uh, but let's read also from Mark 16, 1 through 8, which tells of the women arriving Easter Sunday. Um, and, and just to say before we read this, of, uh, the Sabbath happens from Friday evening to Saturday evening. Uh, and so they aren't going to lay some, anoint, some ointments and like kind of prepare Jesus' body until the Sabbath is over when you're allowed to work. So they've taken that time period off, and here they show up on Sunday morning. The text says, When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very, very early on that first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb, and they had been saying to one another, who's going to roll away this stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And when they looked up, they saw the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, do not be alarmed, for you are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there is the place laid him. But go, tell your disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Pause. We'll get back to this. Um, this is not going to be an easy story to tell, uh, because they're not going to have a sense of what on earth is happening here. They're going to have their own awe moment like the centurion here. Uh, you know, it's some strange things of they're realizing the logistics. Maybe we should have brought somebody with us who could move this heavy stone. Like, oh, I should have thought about that when I left the house this morning. And so they show up and the stone's moved. Like, how do I explain that? Maybe that's God. Uh, and, and they go into the tomb. And I love that the text just says a, a young man dressed in white. Like the other gospel stories will say angels, but like here, just like a person dressed in white. Um, and I think that gets better at the experience of like, what on earth is happening here? Just somebody dressed in some, some white robes sitting there being like, hey, don't worry. Uh, Jesus is raised. He, he's going to be where he told you he'd be. If you go to Galilee, that's where you'll find him. And they're, these women, I'm sure, are thinking, what on earth is happening? And, and some of them might be really hopeful and optimistic and believe at first mention. Some of them might not be. Some of them might be really confused and doubt. But like, think of all the emotions of what's going on. And it's at that part that Mark 16, verse 8 uh, the original ending of the Gospel of Mark just simply says, So they went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. And that might not sound like the Easter story. Like uh, Mark's version is a little bit different than we get in Matthew, Luke, and John. And so Mark just ends with, the women are told to go tell the disciples but they're like afraid, they're confused, they're like, I, I can't tell anybody. Now this ending did not sit very well with our church ancestors of the faith. Uh, the Gospel of Mark kind of became a choose your adventure story where you get to pick your own ending. Uh, it's, it's quite strange. If you have it in your Bible, there's often brackets in verse nine and following. One of the brackets will say the shorter ending of Mark, the other one will say the longer ending of Mark. And a lot of the material is like pulling from like Matthew's version of the ending of the story or Luke's version of the ending of the story or John's. And so it's like 
people didn't really like sitting with the idea that the women just didn't tell anybody and that the story's over. And like, if Mark was the only gospel that you had, and it seems to be the earliest gospel, like, wait, no Jesus appearance? Right, like we're just stopping there? And so in these endings that get added on, um, the shorter ending, the women go and they do tell the disciples briefly. And then it says that later Jesus sent the disciples throughout the world to proclaim the sacred and imperishable proclamation of eternal salvation. And you're like, yes, that's the ending I want to end on. The proclamation of eternal salvation, yes. That earlier part about them not telling anybody, hmm, maybe not my favorite ending. And then there's a longer ending, and it has Mary Magdalene specifically going to tell the disciples. And then they don't believe her, which I always find as an interesting honesty, uh, whether it's here in this kind of longer ending or in some of the other gospel traditions, that it's not just about can the women believe and go and proclaim, but is anybody going to listen to them? And sometimes in churches we've, we've carried on the phrasing of like, this is a marvel that, that the Bible says that the testimony of the women is of value because not everyone would have listened to the testimony. But the Bible also gives glaring examples of the men disciples also not having the ability to hear it. Uh, but this, this next ending was Mary Magdalene going and telling, but they don't believe. And then there's this extra spot in the longer ending of Mark that's kind of like Luke's road to Emmaus, where two disciples are on the way and they encounter Jesus. And they go to tell the disciples, look, we found Jesus. And that longer ending of Mark then says, and they didn't believe him. And so that, that longer ending of Mark is giving us more of the other gospel traditions, but yet still ending short of like the disciples are struggling to believe this reality. And then that longer ending of Mark goes on to have this interesting scene of like Jesus chastising the 11, like he's finally showed up to them. And he's like, how dare you that you didn't believe everybody else's testimony? But then he gives them like a great commissioning Matthew type statement about going out into the world and proclaiming resurrection. And then it gets this list of strange like signs that you will see. And you probably don't encounter this unless you are watching some story about um, snake handling churches in Kentucky or whatever else. But it's the story of that Christians taking the gospel, they're going to be able to exercise demons, speak in new languages, handle snakes, not be killed by poisons, and the ability to heal. And so Mark's this like scribal tradition of people who have carried on the text, who have felt uncomfortable with the ending of the gospel and wanted to give you some of that ending from the other texts, like maybe this will be a better ending for you. Maybe you'll have a better final note. But I think actually the real original ending to Mark is actually quite beautiful. It's one of my favorite rhetorical devices of like writing strategies. Because if, if Mark says the women didn't tell anybody, how do you know about the story? Like obviously they told somebody if someone's recounting the story. Uh, it's, it's one of those things that you should know that there's some dissonance going on here. Like this doesn't quite make sense. But if you were in a setting, and, and on Good Friday we replicated a little bit of this, of we read the whole story of, of Jesus' kind of uh, Good Friday, uh, like the night before until the day of. And we read almost two chapters of text, and we read that all in one sitting. 
But if you can imagine back to the early Christians who weren't literate, not all, most of them weren't, and if somebody was blessed enough to have a copy of one of the Gospels, and they're saying, hey guys, be at church today. We have the Gospel of Mark with us. We're gonna read the story. And someone would come and they would speak it out and they would probably read you the entire Gospel in one sitting. And sometimes we struggle with, with how long things last. But like, let's read the whole Gospel because we have the opportunity to hear it. And if you got through the whole Gospel and you ended with, and the women were too afraid to tell anybody, the result is you want to get up and you want to tell somebody. She's like, that doesn't make sense. I got to go tell somebody about this story. Like, it's actually a beautiful ending because it's saying you continue the story. The gospel doesn't end here. It, it continues on. It's present with you. And you got to go and take the good news. Go tell somebody. They might not believe you. It's not up to you. But you can't help but live out the awe experience and, and do your best to share what has happened. And this ending where, where we are sharing in this good news gospel ending together, it's not just about what we say. Obviously, we wanted people to share verbally as much as we can. But the disciples become apostles who are sent out with a purpose in the world, who somehow go from people who are too afraid to show up to people who are willing to die to share the good news. And so their proclamation of the gospel was not just the fact that some of them talked about the gospel, but that they lived the gospel, that they made a community who lived out the reality, that everything Rome tried to do with execution to shame you and to embarrass you, to make you hide, to make you stop what you're doing, had the opposite effect that death did not win, but life won, and suddenly they're emboldened to go live out the gospel even stronger than they were prior to Good Friday. And so those disciples who never articulate, you're the son of God in the story, become people who proclaim that faith that we have inherited, that truly he was the son of God. And so we are faced with the question of how do we make this story continue? What's the next chapter of it? Where is the gospel continuing in your life? And for some of us who are exhausted, who are beaten down by whatever's happening in your life right now or the last year or the last decade, what is it to hear the gospel of resurrection and to have energy and life renewed in you so that you are able to walk out into whatever the next day is? It might not always be pleasant, it wasn't always pleasant for the disciples, but that there is actual hope, that there's actual meaning, there's actual life as you walk out with God to wherever God leads you. For some of us who are mothers, fathers, sons and daughters, who have lost someone and that grief carries with you, what is it to hope in Easter Sunday, that life somehow continues in the midst of death, that life uh, is what has the last word and not death. What is it to identify with Christ who suffered and died, but also raised again? For those who, who feel God's calling in their lives, of like, I feel like I'm called into this community, what is it to say yes to that? 
to say, yes, the next chapter of my life is following God faithfully where you call me. And to say, yes, I don't know where this fully leads, but I'm going to go there with you, God. What is it to say yes to God when it feels like there's no hope for tomorrow? I hope no matter what struggles you have, no matter what doubts you have, no matter what fears you have, Easter Sunday might be the day that you choose to take part in this gospel story, that you pick up your own role, your own part in this great divine play, and that you get out and share good news and words and in action. And so today you are invited to say yes to God's awe-inspiring divine love for everyone. You're invited to say yes, and you're invited to continue that story. The Gospel of Mark does not have a neat ending because the Gospel does not end. It continues. I look forward to seeing what Easter hope looks like in each of your lives. Uh, we want to share in that. And so, whether you're in person or online with us, we want to hear those celebration stories of here's where I followed God and here's what God's doing. Uh, we don't want to be the doubters who don't believe what God is doing in your life. We want to be hopeful and celebrate with you. If you've never said yes to being a part of that story, maybe you might identify with the Roman centurion that you're saying, I don't understand what's going on here, but we hope that you might give a yes to what God's doing, and that you might just proclaim, surely God is at work here. Surely this is God's son. And if you go to God. If you go to God in prayer, you can just talk with God wherever you are. You can always ask that God might uh, move in you, might transform you, might be your Savior, might be your Lord and giver of life. And we want to celebrate that with you. And so no matter where you are in God's journey, uh, we would love you to reach out to us to talk about what Easter hope looks like for you. So would you join me in prayer? God, we sometimes, for those of us who have been on this journey for a while, we become complacent, we become forgetful, we become unappreciative. Lord, we ask that you might turn our hearts and our spirits, our minds fully to you, that we might follow you wherever you lead us, that we might be all out for your commissioned gospel message to the rest of the world, to, to us, to those around us. Lord, give us a heart for your mission. Lord, for those of us who, who struggle with what words to say, Lord, be our wisdom, be our voice, be our articulation. Lord, we need your wisdom in our lives. Lord, we ask that you might bring healing. Uh, Lord, there are so many who have grieved in this last year, who have felt the inability to grieve. Lord, help us to identify with the fact that you would take on pain, that you are vulnerable enough, that you love us enough, that you absorb our pain, our violence. Lord, help us to find comfort in your embrace. Lord, give us the, the feet to jump with joy at the celebration of your life. Give us uh, the stubbornness of hope and confidence of faith to live out your gospel hope even when despair seems to win on a, on a battlefield.
Lord, we thank you for your life and your goodness and your love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.